0: Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, Outpouring. I'm so excited to be here with you all today. Uh, It's an honor to stand in the gap for your pastor, John Daniels. He is a dear friend and brother to me. We go back over a decade now, and he's been such an amazing person in my life and I'm so glad to be here to share the Word of God with you all this morning. So on behalf of Christ United Fellowship uh, and my wife, uh, Lucy, we bring greetings to Pastor John Daniels, First Lady uh, Kanika Daniels, and to the entire outpouring family. Uh, This morning, we're gonna continue in your series from the book of John, and I wanna offer some thoughts for us from John chapter 16, verses one through 15 on the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you have your Bibles with you, uh, please turn to John chapter 16 and we'll look at verses one through 16. I'll read the text into our hearing, after which we will ask the Lord's blessing and see what the Spirit has for us this morning. John chapter 16, verses one through 15 read as follows. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Verse 5. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your word and all the promises contained therein. We ask now, O Lord, that by the power of your spirit that you would open the eyes of our hearts. That you would remove the block out of deaf ears. That you would turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Give us understanding today. And then we ask, O Lord, that you would anoint me for this, your service. Let my words be of yours. And what is not of you, let it fall to the ground. Lord, I boast in my weakness now that your power may rest upon me. Not to us, O oh Lord, be the glory. Not to us, but to you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I have four beautiful daughters, ages nine, six, four, and almost two. And it seems like over and over again, each story was the same whenever my daughters would cry as little children, as little kids, if you will. And we'd have this little swing that we'd place them in, a rock and play or one of those nice swings with the music on it. And whenever it was time for food, uh, they would always cry. You learn as a parent to discern the difference between the cries. There's the angry cry, there's the Daddy, put me down, cry. There's the Daddy, who do you think you are, cry. There's the Daddy, you get on my nerves, cry. There's the Daddy, would you leave me alone, cry. And then there's the Daddy, I am hungry, cry. And so you respond to that quickly. And every time, without fail, I would walk up to the swing and pick them up, comfort them. And once I discern the cry, put them back down in the swing, and walk away, and then they would cry even louder. They would scream and get upset with me because they assumed that I was going to abandon them and not care about their needs. And I would say, will you just calm your nerves? I'm going to get your bottle now. But of course, over and over again, they wouldn't see that. They would cry louder and louder whenever I'd put them down to run and get their bottle. And it's the same thing that we see in our text this morning. The disciples are concerned, they're worried, because Jesus has told them a few times now that he's going to depart. And in some instances they said, Lord, where are you going? Because they thought he was going to a different geographical location. But there in our text this morning, we see that they don't ask Jesus where he's going. They don't question him because their hearts grow sorrowful out of concern that they're going to lose their master. and so we'll see in the text this morning that Jesus's departure to go and be with the Father was of great benefit to the disciples because in his departure, he would then send the Holy Spirit or the helper or comforter as you all have discussed already in this series to be with them in the work of the ministry. And so as we think through this Text this morning, I want us to consider three divisions in our text. That's the sending of the Spirit, the conviction of the Spirit, and the guidance of the Spirit. We'll see outlined in our text the sending of the Spirit, the conviction of the Spirit, and the guidance of the Spirit. We'll see here, first off, the sending of the Spirit. If you look at verses one through four, Jesus says to his disciples, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now, if you just look back up here, verses 18 through 27 in chapter 15, Jesus has said some hard words to his disciples. He's told them that the world hated me and the world will also hate you. And Jesus all along is telling his disciples that he is departing. He's going to prepare a place for them. And he, ha- he has some very difficult things for his disciples to say. And as we move into chapter 16, he says, I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now, he didn't say it early on to them in the ministry because it wasn't necessary for them to know his time hadn't come yet. His hour hadn't come yet, as we saw over and over throughout the Gospels. But he tells them this so that they will persevere, so that their hearts won't be so heavy as to fall away from the faith whenever the persecution comes upon them. And the same thing is true for us. The Lord has given us his word to help us persevere through the struggles that we face in life. In verse two, it says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So Jesus is giving his disciples a heads up. If we were to uh, fast forward through the pages of the Bible and redemptive history after the cross, we would see that indeed Jesus' disciples faced A great deal of persecution as the early church was developing. In fact, one of the chief authors of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, was was once the criminal Saul who persecuted God's people and thought that he was doing God's will. So it is possible for people to persecute the people of God and think that they are actually doing the right thing. But the Bible tells us that they are blinded that they have not known the father, that they have not known Jesus. So these are things that Jesus, uh, about which Jesus warned his disciples so that they would persevere when these struggles came. And indeed the Bible tells us when we read through Acts that the, the, the disciples rejoiced for being counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And so the suffering would later be confirmed, this prophecy would later be confirmed as they are uh, witnessing and as they are ministering to people and evangelizing in the church is growing and we see over and over again that disciples were persecuted that they were imprisoned, prison that they were beaten but Jesus gave them a heads up so they were put on notice and not caught off guard that bearing the name of Jesus will bring about trouble in your life in fact coming to Jesus may cause you more trouble than when you were not following Jesus but Jesus says, blessed are you if you're persecuted and reviled for my name's sake. We move here to verse five. We see, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? So again, Jesus reiterates he was with them and he didn't say these things to them because it wasn't necessary at the beginning of his ministry. Uh, Whenever people tried to take him hostage and make him king, he would depart. Whenever Pharisees were after him, he would depart, not because he was afraid, not because he didn't have the power to do anything about it, but because it was not his time to go and accomplish redemption through his death. And now we see here that the disciples who previously asked Jesus about where he was going. Peter said, Lord, where are you going? I will follow you wherever. Jesus said, Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows, John 13 and 36. Over and over again, Lord, where are you going? Lord, are you going to a different location? The disciples didn't quite understand what Jesus meant when he said that he was going to depart. He tells us in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is going to carry out the work of redemption so that his disciples, his followers would have a place in his father's heavenly kingdom. But now the disciples are puzzled. Jesus says, before you asking me these questions, now no one says, where are you going? Verse six, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And so the disciples were so worried and saddened by the departure of Jesus that their sorrow blinded them to the significance of Jesus leaving for their betterment, for their advantage. And so it is with us. Very often we get upset. We get all in our feelings when things don't work out the way that we plan. We think that God is for against us. We think that God wants to make us Unhappy, We think that God wants to take away our joy, but the reality of it is that God knows what's best for us Many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord purpose stands So sometimes God prevents things from happening for your own good Sometimes he reroutes or redirects for your own good It's not that God wants to somehow make your life miserable or drive you to sorrow the problems with us Because we think that our plan is better than God's plan But he says, It is to your advantage that I leave. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. So if we stop right there, we see here the helper once again that you've touched on already, the paraclete or the comforter. The one who comes alongside the advocate, the one who brings aid. This is another name for the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus does not tell us why he must depart before the Holy Spirit comes. He simply tells us that in order for the Holy Spirit to come, he must depart. He doesn't give us the full. uh, He doesn't give us the full picture of these things. We can read the Bible and we can conclude some things that's consistent. Well, with Jesus's uh, earthly mission and his work of redemption. But here's what we do know, that in God's program of salvation, the father elects us to salvation. The son accomplishes our salvation and the Holy Spirit applies salvation to us. Let me say that again. What we do know is that there is a division of labor in God's economy when it comes to the work of salvation. It's not that they don't have anything to do with each other. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all in tandem with each other, as we'll see as we move throughout this text, but the Father elects us to salvation. He chooses us to salvation. The Son accomplishes the work of salvation, and then the Holy Spirit applies the work of salvation to us. He applies the work of the Son. If you ever gone to a Chick-fil-A, you'll notice that you stand in a line and one person calls you and they, they take your order, and then you sort of move on to the side. And then somebody else behind them is punching in some orders and packaging a bag. And then after that, oftentimes, someone different than one and two will deliver your goods to you. So it is in God's economy. The Father elects to salvation, The son accomplishes the salvation and the Holy spirit, if you will, delivers the salvation. He brings people into the fold of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus departing was to carry out the mission given to him by the father, which was to lay down his life, to pay the penalty for our sins and then ascend to the right hand of the father with power and rule over his church as king where he would with one of his first acts one of his first edicts one of his first decisions send the holy spirit in power and in fullness in a way that would be new to the disciples so understand here when jesus says that to his disciples that i am leaving that i am departing that these things must happen he is talking about going And accomplishing the work of redemption by dying on the cross for your sins, for my sins, and for all those who will be brought into the fold of God. And from there, the Bible says that he was raised for our justification and he is now seated at the right hand of God, the father almighty, where he is reigning and he is ruling. And if we were in person, I would say, put an amen on it. And so Jesus reigning and ruling as the head of the church, as the king of the church, King Jesus, sends the Holy Spirit to come and help, to comfort, to assist, to work through and work in the life of the apostles to build the church. When I was uh, hanging out with my grandparents a couple years ago, I said, grandma and grandpa, on my dad's side of the family, they're from Jamaica, I said, I said, tell me a story about coming over here to the States. Why did you come? And my grandmother started telling me the story. She said, you know, I came over initially to do some work and and, uh, make make some money and, and do some things back home in Jamaica at the time. But then in the name of pursuing a better life, this woman that she had befriended, said to her, you know, Ruth, you should really stay here. You should stay here, you'll, you'll have a better life, you can do some, some things for your family, et cetera, et cetera. So she went back home and she, she told my grandfather and she persuaded my grandfather to come for a short period of time, but my, my grandfather's friends knew that it would be the last time that he would live there in Jamaica. And as they came here as immigrants to America, they started, they, they, they journeyed and they worked hard and they started a new life for themselves and their children. So they came here and they left their children behind uh, to the care of some family members. But as things got better over the years, they would bring the kids up in pairs and in groups so that the kids would enjoy the benefits of the labor that they had secured. So it is with Jesus. He says, I must go and accomplish redemption so that when I leave, I will send the Holy Spirit who will be used, who will work through the church to gather people into the fold of God and enjoy the benefits of redemption. We see here the sending of the Spirit. Now take a look with me at the conviction of the Spirit. Verse eight, it tells us, and when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse nine concerning sin, because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness, because I go to the father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. That word convict right there means to convince with solid or compelling evidence, especially to expose, to bring light to something. So we see here that a role of the Holy Spirit is to expose, to bring to the attention, to bring awareness, to, to um, highlight, if you will, with a great degree of evidence, um, things concerning uh, the Lord and, and the world. If we look at the three things that he will convict, It says sin, righteousness and judgment. If we look there at sin, it's an awareness of missing God's mark. Sin is missing the mark or missing, falling short of the standard. And so the Holy Spirit's role, one of his uh, works is to bring to people's attention when they miss God's mark, when they fall short of God's standard. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Of God And the Holy Spirit brings that to people's attention. If we were to look at Acts chapter 2, we see that Peter, under the power of the Holy Spirit that had come after the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ, preaches the gospel and then the word of God says they were cut to their hearts. In Acts chapter 2 verse 37, they were cut to their hearts. And then they ask the question, how can we be saved? The Holy Spirit brought to their attention that Jesus Christ was crucified by the hands of lawless men, many of which were in that crowd. Peter says that this happened according to the definite foreknowledge and plan of God, but you all had something to do with it. And he proceeds to explain to them how Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the sent one from God to bring salvation to his people and the Bible says that they were convicted of their sin. They were convicted of the greatest sin. The greatest sin is unbelief. Because if you don't believe in Jesus, you're in trouble. They begged, Peter, how can we be saved? Peter tells them, repent and be baptized, all of you for the remission of your sins. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. You see here, the Holy Spirit disrupts our worldly inertia. When we're stuck in sin, think about it as standing still and we're just happy and we don't know any better and we think that the way the world uh, presents this thing about life to us is correct. And what the Holy Spirit does is disrupt that idleness and brings to our attention that our standing still is gonna get us in trouble. Said another way, we're just going about our life and we think that all is good, we're living happy, and the world is at my fingertips, and we don't realize that we are marching happily to our eternal death. And what the Holy Spirit does is knock us off course and awakens us to the reality that we have sinned against God, causing us to ask the question, how can I be saved? Concerning righteousness. In his earthly ministry, we saw that Jesus Christ proclaimed righteousness. Jesus Christ, taught true righteousness. He embodied righteousness. He was the living word. In him was no sin. The only perfect man to ever walk this earth. And then some scholars think that maybe this is a reference to Jesus Christ being vindicated as the righteous one after his resurrection from the grave. I'm not here to dispute that. I think both are applicable. I think it's I'm probably more inclined to seeing Jesus Christ as the one who taught and embodied righteousness while he was with his disciples in their earthly ministry. But once he departed, once he departed and ascended to be at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit was sent to be the one who convicts the world of righteousness, who leads uh, people to righteousness uh, through the ministry of the gospel and the preaching of the word through his people. And he brings to people's attention that they lack righteousness and that they are unable in their own power to secure the righteousness that's necessary to be in good standing with God. And so think about it like this. If you've ever run on a treadmill, you can go very far. You can go miles and miles and miles, but go nowhere at all. That's what it's like when you're self-righteous. That's what it's like when you're trying to earn favor with God, when you're trying to secure a righteous standing before God. You are running, 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 running in place, but you are getting nowhere at all. And what the Holy Spirit does is awaken us to the reality that we are running in place and not covering any ground. And he reminds us that there's only one righteous person, one truly righteous person, one perfectly righteous person Who has done that on our behalf, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So he sets us free from works, righteousness, and self-righteousness. Concerning judgment, here we see the Bible tells us that Satan as an opposer, an opposer to God, stands condemned. If we look at John 12, 31, Jesus said that Satan would be cast out. Okay, and then Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 that Christ was put to open shame through the death and resurrection of, uh, that Satan was put to open shame through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this is important for us to see here concerning the judgment that the evil one, that the accuser has already been defeated by the work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was saying in John 12 that his doom is sure, that he stands condemned because what's about to happen at the cross Uh, His his triumph would be our tragedy. It's the greatest irony in history The enemy thought that he had Jesus at the cross, but really it was a -a rope-a-dope The enemy thought he had Jesus in the corner and then Jesus pulled a quick one on him and in dying Jesus defeats death. That's the great irony of the Christian faith His tragedy was our triumph and then it tells us in Revelation 20 that this same enemy will be condemned forever and cast into the eternal lake of fire. Now, what I want us to understand here is that not only is this the devil's fate, this is the fate of anyone who is hostile to or opposes Christ, does not place their trust in Christ. You are under the influence of the prince of the air is what the Bible says. The prince of this world you are under the influence and guidance of the devil if you have not placed your faith your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and your destiny says the same thing unless you repent so let's not just think here that Jesus is declaring that the devil is defeated anyone who follows the devil anyone who persecuted the church did not repent anyone who was in opposition to Christ and did not repent has been marked out for condemnation. So I ask you all this morning with all that is being offered to us by the world, all the different philosophies, all these different worldviews that are offering us life but coming up short, do we see the need to preach the gospel? Do we see the need to preach the gospel to others? Do we see the need to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again? Because the reality is there is an enemy and he's constantly influencing people to choose the alternative to Christ. But we're called to preach against the kingdom of darkness, against the dark forces, and know that the Holy Spirit is working through the proclamation of the gospel, but not only Do we see the need to preach the gospel? But do we see how the work of the Holy Spirit frees us in our evangelism? We're called to be instruments. We're called to go out and be faithful to the word of God and trust the Lord with the outcome. Ultimately, it depends on the Holy Spirit to awaken the heart, to awaken the eyes of the people that we are trying to reach. And so we do all that we can, we do the best that we can, we give all that we can and we trust God with the outcome because ultimately it's up to the spirit. So not only do we see the sending of the spirit and the conviction of the spirit. Now, lastly, here we see the guidance of the spirit. It tells us in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Verse 15 and all that the father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus says there are many more things to say to his disciples. But he refrains from saying it to them at that point. Why? Because you'll notice in Jesus's ministry, sometimes he'll do something, perform a miracle, then he'll explain it. He'll do some great redemptive act, and then disciples, the disciples will understand. Well, the disciples will understand the cross better on the other side of the cross. So right now, Jesus just says to them, "In a little while, you." uh, Jesus just says to them, "I still have many things to say to you, but." You cannot bear them right now. But what we will see later on in the Bible is that these same disciples to whom he said these things would go on to be instrumental in building the church. They would go on, some of them, to writing books of the Bible. They would go on to evangelize and they would write letters to these communities that they reached. We see in verse 13 that the spirit will guide us. It says, guide you into all truth. The spirits, part of the spirit's role is to lead, lead God's people to the truth of God's word, which is foundational, which is protective. And and it's our covering. The word of God is our foundation. It's our protection. And it's the covering over our head. And the Holy Spirit's role is to lead us in the truth of God's word. The Holy Spirit is like a GPS. Whenever I'm on my way back home from somewhere, I just pull up my map and I just press home. And then the map just guides me from wherever I am back to my refuge. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. He guides us right back to the refuge of the word of God in Jesus Christ. We see here that the Holy Spirit cooperates with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit cooperates. So we need to understand it's not one God in three forms. We have God the Father, we have God the Son, and we have God the Holy Spirit. All three are equal in substance, they're equal in power, they're equal in glory, and they are equal in might. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ because he bears witness to Jesus Christ. When Ananias and Sapphira came in and lied to the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter five, Peter says, you have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. So understand that the Holy Spirit is just as much God as the son and the father are. That's what Jesus is helping us to see here in this text. And so the Holy Spirit cooperates. He's one with the father in essence and accomplishes the father's will. Paul also told us in 1 Corinthians chapter two that the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit knows the deep will, the hidden things of God. He tells us in Romans chapter eight that even in our times of prayer, when we don't have the words to say, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. So the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in accordance with God's will. You see, the Holy Spirit is God as well. He is the third member of The Trinity. So, beloved, whenever folks tell you all, the Spirit told me to tell you, be careful. Be careful when somebody tells you that the Holy Spirit is leading me to tell you this. Or be careful, check your own self when you think that the Holy Spirit is leading you to do something because the Spirit is not going to direct you to do something that is out of accord with God's will. The Holy Spirit is not going to ask you to do something that's disobedient to God's word, neither is the Holy Spirit gonna ask you to tell somebody to do something that's disobedient to God's word. So keep in mind that the Holy Spirit cooperates with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit highlights and carries out the will of the Father and the Son. And we see here that central to the mission of the Spirit is the glorification of Christ. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will glorify me. Just as Jesus Christ delivered what was given to him by the Father, the Holy Spirit delivers what's given to him by the Son. Do we see that? Jesus said that my food is to do the will of the Father. I've come to do all that he's given me to do. I've come to to reveal what he has told me. And in like fashion, the Holy Spirit carries out that same will. He carries out and reveals the same things that told to him by the father and the son listen saints the Holy Spirit is like that threefold light that makes Christ bigger to us bigger in us and bigger through us the Holy Spirit is like the threefold light a light with three functions that makes Christ bigger to us that makes Christ bigger in us that makes Christ bigger through us. And I ask you the question this morning Who is your guide? Which guide are you listening to today? Which guide are you listening to, the Spirit of the world or the Spirit of God? One says life is all about you right now because there is no life after now. That's the world. The world says life is about you right now. Nothing else matters. It's all about getting yours right now. It's all about satisfying yourself right now. It's all about indulging all of your desires right now. It's all about what makes you happy and sad right now. Because there's nothing else beyond the here and now. That's what the world says. And the other says it's all about Christ now and the home that he provides for you later. John 14. Which one? Which one provides life? Which one provides life? Which one is your God? The one that tells you all there is to life is what you experience right now or the one that tells you it's all about Christ now and the life to come? The word of God proclaims in Romans ten nine that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And as Jesus told his disciples he was going to depart and send the Spirit, just as sure as he said that, he carried out his mission. He went to the cross and he laid down his life as a ransom for many. But the Bible also says that he rose from the grave, defeating the power of sin, death, the devil, and the world, and that he rose with all power in his hand. The Bible tells us that he ascended to the right hand of the Father and then he sent the Holy Spirit in power. We see it at Pentecost. So he made good on his promise to the disciples that they would receive the helper. And that helper today, the Holy Spirit is still convicting the world of sin, still convicting the world of righteousness and still convicting the world of judgment. The Holy Spirit this day is shining. A bright light on the glory of Jesus Christ, who says, if you trust in me, thou shalt be saved. So I ask you this morning, do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, come and receive the gift of salvation? If so, place your trust in Jesus today. Let us pray.